Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. Well, today we're concluding our series, Intimate Encounters, and partly we're concluding it because after the first week, you guys stopped inviting people to church. Um, not so many visitors on week two, uh, maybe because of the content of week one, uh, might, holidays might have had something to do with it. But actually, uh, we're wrapping up our series today. If you haven't been with us, uh, we've sort of been digging uh, beneath the surface uh, of our relationships and trying to discover uh, what is it uh, that leads to true intimacy. In fact, one of the things we said the very first week is that um, in our culture, we have a false uh, view of what true intimacy is. Uh, we've sort of conflated the ideas of, uh, of intimacy and sexuality, and we know they're not the same thing. In fact, when we open up the scriptures, we discover that there's a capacity for us to have a true intimacy with somebody, a, a relationship that's so intimate that it's like a oneness. This is how the scriptures describe it. There's a oneness physically, emotionally, and spiritually with another person. In fact, last week, uh, as we, we looked in Genesis chapter 2, when God had uh, the most intimate human relationship the way he wanted it, uh, it was described as the man and his wife were naked and unashamed, meaning there was nothing between them, nothing to hide, uh, fully present and fully accepted. And so we, we've been talking about what are the things that cultivate that sort of a truly intimate relationship the way we were designed to experience them. And so far, we've discovered that first, intimacy requires exclusivity. Uh, in week one, we talked about physical intimacy and how um, we, we, we looked at not only is this something that, that is prescribed in the scriptures, we looked, we looked at the science. We discovered that, that when everybody's invited, when a relationship's not exclusive, when everybody's invited, um, it's not intimate. And that multiple partners and many partners, which is very popular in our culture, uh, today, it actually erodes intimacy in our relationships, and it actually erodes our capacity for intimacy over the long haul. Um, last week, we talked about vulnerability and, and sort of the emotional side of intimacy and what it looks like um, to risk vulnerability. It, it's actually incredibly courageous to be able to move closer and to be closer to somebody in, in an intimate relationship. Today, we're going to talk about another essential, but one of the things I want to be upfront about is, is this is not a comprehensive series. We chose uh, three of these sort of essential components to intimacy, um, but it's not all there is uh, about it. I'm gonna give you some resources at the end. But today, the third one we're gonna tackle is the idea of generosity, which some of you are thinking, I didn't see that coming. Exclusivity, vulnerability maybe, but generosity. Um, I, I, I'm gonna, uh, we're gonna get more into this and, and specifically why this is so important and why it's representative of, of a larger relationship. But last week, I told you a story uh, about how Jen and I, when we were in a really difficult season in our relationship and we were struggling and it was sort of like, I told you, I felt like we were, she was holding me at arm's length and we were sort of like not really connecting. We could only get so close. Um, a counselor of mine 
suggested the book, How We Love. It's, it's, it's a book, and I, I thought as soon as she suggested a book, I thought, oh my gosh, another book. Because every other book I had written, read on relationships felt like behavior modification. It, it didn't feel like it, it actually solved root issues, and so I was like very reluctant. In fact, full disclosure, I downloaded a free chapter of the book to listen to. I wasn't even gonna like buy the whole book yet. So I downloaded a, a, a free uh, version of, of, of the first chapter and I began to listen to it. And in that first chapter, the author so clearly articulated our situation, what, what was, had been so puzzling to me and Jen and I in our relationship for so long, we had sort of gone round and around and around in this same issue over and over and over. We, we weren't able to solve it. So I, I shared it with Jen. I was like, hey, you've got to listen to this. I mean, this is unbelievable. This is like, this describes you and this describes me and this describes what we're dealing with. And one of the things we began to realize is we're not the only ones and we weren't alone. As a matter of fact, um, a description of what was puzzling, puzzling us or difficult in our relationship uh, was so common that somebody actually published it in a book. You know, this had happened with lots of people and they began to talk about some of the antidotes of these things. And, and one of the things that Jen and I discovered is how we loved um, in our relationship, particularly me, was um, not really what loving really is uh, to another person because I wasn't free to love. We weren't free to love each other in the way we ought to love each other. Our love was more transactional. It was, I'll love you if I get this response in return or I'll behave in this way as long as I get this in return, which had very little to do with generosity. In fact, it wasn't generous at all. So here's what I want to do. I want to actually go to the love chapter today, which I know some of you guys are going to roll your eyes. You're like, are you kidding me? Because you've been to a thousand weddings and you've heard 1 Corinthians 13 read over and over. But if you have a Bible or if you don't, if you have a device, I want you to open it. I want you to look at this with us. By the way, I say this all the time. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to have one. Um, but 1 Corinthians 13 um, is the wedding that's, or, the, or the, the verses that are read at weddings all the time. And that's our context, by the way. We listen to it, we think, oh, that's idealistic, it's unrelatable. Um, but that's not the context in which Paul was writing it. Some of you may not know this, this is important. Um, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people in Corinth who've been heavily influenced by uh, Greek mythology and the, the worship of, of Greek gods and goddesses. And in their relationship with the Greek gods and goddesses, it was, it was primarily a vertical relationship. Um, the, the gods and goddesses, as they supposed, weren't, they didn't care about how they treated each other. It was all about what they would sacrifice and how they would worship these, these gods and goddesses to sort of manipulate them into getting what they wanted. There was very little regard. If the gods didn't care how I, we treated each other, why should we care? And so this was, this was sort of uh, the context in which Paul's writing into. And so he's like, okay, you're, you're trying to have this vertical relationship with God that you're, you're, you've ascribed, you've become followers of Jesus and you have a new heavenly father and you're figuring out what it looks like to relate with God. And into that, he says, here's the thing. I want you to know if I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong, gong or a clank, clanging cymbal. So if I, if I sound spiritual, I, you know, and, and I don't have love, that, that doesn't really mean anything. And, and if, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not, do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. He's basically saying, look, you, you can have the ability to speak. You can look like the most religious person. You can stand on a stage like this and communicate to people and talk about the truths of, of the scriptures and you can have lots of knowledge and you can have a big faith. You can even make a lot of sacrifices. But if you don't have love, if you're not doing it out of love, if people don't experience love, it has no value. If he's basically saying, if you don't have love, what are you? You're nothing. And you actually gain nothing, which this seems harsh. And by the way, I'll just say as a side note, um, as it relates to people who stand on a stage like this, you shouldn't judge people based on how well they talk on stage or what they, it seems like they know or how well it seems like they lead their lives. You know, if you really want to know how much love I have, you should talk to my wife. You should talk to my kids. You should talk to the people that are around me. And this is Paul's point, is you you can't have the love that God has for us. You can't have that kind of love and that not be expressed in your relationships with other people because God loves other people. And and if you, you don't express that, you're really nothing and you gain nothing, which feels harsh, doesn't it? I mean, it's sort of like, Thank you, Paul, for deflating me, but, but none of us are personally offended by that, are we? Like, you're not offended by that. Anybody offended by that? The reason, the reason you're not offended by that, <clears throat> excuse me, and the reason I'm not offended by that is because we think we're loving, right? I mean, how many of you, real quick, you just say, hey, I think I'm a pretty loving person. Not that I love everybody all the time, but, but I at least have, there's people in my life that, that feel like I'm loving towards them. Would you just raise your hand real quick if you, if you feel like you're a loving person? Okay, like, no, no, keep them up. I, you can't put them back down. I'm gonna make you participate. You're gonna get a little shoulder workout for a second. So if you're a loving person, you can put it up like this. That's fine. I saw some people do that. But you can hold it real high if you want the real shoulder workout. You can switch to the other hand if you need to. But here's the thing. If you're loving, um, the, the question is, Whose version of love is that? Paul gives us a self-assessment as he goes on. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep your hand up as long as your love expresses what Paul describes here. You ready for this? Okay, he starts out and he says, love is patient. My hand goes down because I spoiled that one last night. We still got a few hands up though. Some of you are still doing good. You got past the first one. Love is patient. Love is kind. Always. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Not many hands up still. It goes on. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. When you put it that way, it's like, does anybody have love? I mean, are, are any of us loving at all? It's, it's sort of like, I mean, Paul, this, this list is like absurd. Like how can, how can anybody have that sort of love? I mean, okay, that's something to aspire to. But if you're saying we don't have a love like this, we're nothing and we gain nothing. Paul's going, here's, here's the point. And, and I think these, all these things have something in, kind, in, in common. That love is patient, kind. And it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It doesn't dishonor other people. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. These are all characteristics of generosity. Love is extraordinarily generous. It's focused on other people. It says, I'm gonna take all of me and I'm gonna use everything in me for your, for your betterment. 
for, the, for your best and your highest. And I'm not going to dishonor you even you when, when you dishonor yourself. I'm not going to be self-seeking even when nobody else is looking out for me. I'm not going to be easily angered. I'm going to choose to think of the best possible explanation for your behavior so that I'm not angered. And, and I'm not going to continue to remind you of the things that you did wrong. This sort of love, this generous love, it, it makes a difference. And then if that wasn't enough, he goes on, he says this. He says, love does not delight in evil, which what does that mean? It basically means it, it, it doesn't delight in uncovering mistakes. It's not trying to catch another person doing something wrong. That love doesn't do that. That's void of love. It's not like, okay, I'll love you if you behave correctly. And it doesn't enjoy it when, when you catch somebody behaving badly. But it does rejoice with the truth, which means it's not afraid of uncovering, of talking about the real issues, of dealing in reality of the truth. That's what love does. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't rejoice. It isn't happy about there being problems, but it's not afraid of them either. It moves towards messy situations. And then he gives us four absolutes, and I want to camp out on these. If you forget everything else about love, he says, just, just try, that, try these on. If you'll, you'll just focus on these. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. And it always perseveres. So, so here's, here's what this looks like. If, if love is incredibly generous, all of these things describe the generosity of love. And, and, and you say, okay, in, in the context of our relationship, I'm going to be as generous as I can, which, which means I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe the best. I'm going to believe the best about somebody, somebody else, and I'm going to act as if they're worth believing the best about. That's, that's, what, that's what I'm going to do. And so, so if I, I believe the best about somebody, and we've, we run into a situation in the relationship where I begin to feel insecure, because the reality is, is one of the things we all know about relationships is they can be dangerous. You've been hurt in the past. You know people who've been hurt. There are circumstances and there are situations where relationships are dangerous. There are, there are circumstances and situations in, in, in relationships all the time. And, and some of you, you may be in the middle of this right now, where you're in, you're in a situation where your relationship's incredibly confusing. And, and you're, you're not sure where it's going or where it's going to end up. There are situations where there, because of that confusion, there's, there's uncertainty about the future. And the reality is, is, is relationships can be difficult. We all know this is true about relationships. And, and these are climates that, that in the midst of these, I may have to switch markers here for a second. In the midst of these, these difficult circumstances and, these, and these, these, the uncertainty, the confusion in different relationships, how does that overlap with generosity? Like how, how are we able to be generous in these circumstances? And this is what Apostle Paul's talking about. He says, look, when, when there's, a dan there's dangerous circumstances, what it looks like to be generous is to say that you're worth defending. So I'm gonna protect. You're, you're worth defending. And so I'm gonna choose in the midst of danger to protect you. I'm gonna focus on you. It, it, it's incredibly generous, but this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be for you. And when... We're in the midst of a confusing situation. I'm gonna believe the best about you. I'm gonna believe that you're worth trusting and I'm gonna trust you. And, and when things are uncertain, and even when I feel the insecurity of that, the truth is, is I'm gonna believe that you're worth waiting for. Even if I'm not sure you're gonna be there in the long haul and I'm gonna continue to hope 
And when things are difficult, even in the most difficult times, I'm gonna choose to persevere. See, this is what this looks like in, in, in a generous relationship when somebody's trying to cultivate generosity and believe the best in a relationship, it causes us to do these things. And some of you would say, but, but here's the problem. I mean, always, I mean, come on, Paul. There's gotta be exceptions. To the you mean, always protect and always trust and always hope and always persevere. I mean, that doesn't even make sense in certain situations. It, it seems naive. You might even say, I mean, to always trust, I mean, that's irresponsible. I want you to think about it for a second. I'm gonna get to your objection. But isn't that the nature of generosity? I mean, people presume on the generosity of others all the time. And I can choose whether I'm gonna be generous or not. But the reality is, is it's still my choice. Regardless of what you do, regardless of how you act, people can take advantage of generosity. They can take advantage of your generosity. They can take advantage of my generosity. But I can still decide that even when somebody doesn't act worthy of my generosity, I can still choose to believe that they are worthy of my generosity. I mean, foreshadowing the message, like this is what God did for you. This is what God did for me. Is even when we weren't worthy of his generosity, of his grace gift, he went beyond and he showed us generosity. Here, here's what's interesting about this is, is there was a study done and it was published in, uh, this article is published in the Journal of uh, Personality and, and Social Psychology and it's on the benefits of positive illusions in the benefits of positive illusions. And uh, in this study, it's, it's one of the most comprehensive studies that's done on romantic relationships and particularly satisfaction in romantic relationships. It was done by a, a team of researchers, um, Dr. Sandra Murray. She led a team of researchers to do this study. And here's what they discovered. They discovered that couples with the highest levels of satisfaction in their relationship related to, or excuse me, they rated each other more positively in every quality than their partners rated themselves. There was a whole list of qualities in which you rated your partner and then you rated yourself. And the couples with the highest levels of satisfaction, the couples that were the happiest in their relationships, the thing that, made, that was different between them and everybody else is they rated the other person higher than that person rated themselves in every category. Here's what they discovered, that when you're in a relationship with someone and they know that you have an extremely generous and even unrealistically positive view of them, they're drawn towards you. And not only are they drawn towards you, they experience higher levels of satisfaction and happiness in that relationship. Not only that, this is the most extraordinary thing. The study also showed that those who were on the receiving end of this generosity, those who had somebody they were in a relationship with that believed what they believed about them was better than they actually, the way they actually saw themselves, they had this sort of positive illusion of them, those people were motivated to live up to the way that their partner believed in them. Isn't that extraordinary? It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. But this resembles the relationship and the love of God who believes in you and believes in your future even more than you believe in yourself. But when it comes to human relationships, there, there's a complication. And here's the complication. Oftentimes there's unexplained gaps 
in our relationship that make it difficult for us to be generous and make it difficult for us to believe the best. When, when, um, when we, what we, the way we expect somebody to behave and what we actually experience, when those don't equal one another, um, we, we begin to have gaps. There, there's distance and it, it makes it more difficult to cross that gap and to be generous. For example, when, when somebody's late again or they didn't call, or, or they didn't ask, or they weren't forthcoming, or the story that they told didn't add up, or they, they did that thing that you've asked them over and over not to do, when, they, when what they said they would do and what they should have done, what everybody knows a husband should do, or what everybody knows a wife should do, or what everybody knows a boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or just a friend would do, when they didn't do what they should do. It's not what they did. That creates a gap. It creates distance in a relationship. And this is what we're talking about. It erodes intimacy. It it keeps you from being and experiencing that closeness, that oneness that you ultimately desire to experience. And that is sort of the pinnacle of relationship. And, and, And I'll say this, closing that gap is a lot like solving a puzzle. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to puzzles and and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best here to, to draw some puzzle pieces. I didn't do so good last service, by the way, so um, be a little bit patient with me on this. Um, when, when, it, when it comes to this, it, it's sort of, it, it, it's, it, when, you're, when you're talking about uh, a relationship, it's a lot like solving a puzzle. And, and there's two pieces, two primary pieces to any puzzle uh, that you're trying to solve in a relationship. And the first, the first one is what I see. This is, this is what I see or what I experience in the relationship. This is actually their stuff. This is the, the other person. It's their stuff. It's their behavior. It's their habits. It's their idiosyncrasies. It's, it's their misbehavior. And, and this is the thing that's the easiest for us to focus on. In fact, these are the things that people most try to solve. It's like, hey, we got this problem. She keeps doing this. In fact, Nine, 95, 98% of the, the conversations I have with couples when they come in, okay, what's the problem? Well, she won't do this or he won't do that or they always do this. And this is where you start. It's like, okay, the first puzzle piece is here's what I see and here's what I'm experiencing. And um, when there's a gap between, you know, what we agreed on or what, what, you know, I was expecting from this person and the way they're acting, we have a choice, and it's the same choice uh, as, as it relates to this generosity. When we interact with this, this becomes way more difficult. And it may be something that, that puts the, uh, some insecurity in the relationship, or it may be something that's confusing, or may, maybe it's something that creates uncertainty, or maybe it's just causing greater difficulty in the relationship. But you have a choice, and I have a choice. And we can either choose to believe the best, or we end up finding ourselves being suspicious. We can believe the best and we can protect and trust and hope and persevere as the Apostle Paul says we should do. Or we find ourselves, we end up being suspicious in such a way that we start to begin to make up things. And so instead of formulating the most generous explanation of why their behavior, why what I saw is what I saw, why they behaved the way that they did, instead of doing that, I begin to be, become suspicious about why they would do that. And I begin, and and I know none of you do this, but I begin or I have begun formulating other destructive beliefs about 
uh, my wife or, or maybe your, your partner or, or your, the person you're in a dating relationship or maybe just a friend of yours because this transcends marriage, by the way, all of this. This, this principle of generosity and relationships, this is, this is how you create close relationships. And these are the types of relationships we all long for, isn't it? We, 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 we're drawn towards people who, who believe the best in us versus are being suspicious and wondering and trying to catch us behaving badly. Now, here's the thing. Some of you would say, okay, so what you're saying is, I mean, I should just come up with the most generous explanation and just believe the best. I mean, that seems so naive. I mean, what about when they're acting in the worst possible ways? I mean, do I just ignore that? Do I turn a blind eye to that? I mean, when it's been over and over and over, of course not. I mean, that's, that's like, that's like incredibly destructive. I mean, that's, that's not fending for yourself and that's not having enough respect for yourself and, and that can become abusive. That's not what I'm saying. But you believe the best until you can't. And then you make this commitment. I'm not gonna be suspicious. I'm gonna believe the best. And when I can't believe the best, I'm gonna come directly to you. I, I'm not gonna go to your mom, I'm not gonna go to your sister, I'm not gonna go to my friends, I'm not gonna go to other people, I'm gonna come directly to you. I'm not gonna let my mind wander and create a case against you, I'm not gonna go formulate that case and then come after you with my, my destructive beliefs about why you did what you did. I'm just, when there's a gap, and it's because of something that I saw, something that I witnessed, something that I experienced in our relationship. I'm gonna choose to believe that there's a good explanation for that and I'm gonna come directly to you to find out what that is. Now, sometimes, you know, this goes on over and over and you have the same conversation over and over and you're dealing with things that are extremely difficult in a relationship. And if you're here today and that's the case, I'll just say, if you're somebody that's on the end of, um, this is my stuff and I'm the one that's, that's been behaving over and over. I was having this discussion with my son not, not long ago um, about broken trust. And when, um, when trust is broken, you, you, it's, not just, it's not just enough to say, hey, I need you to keep believing the best. You need to create an environment that's easy for somebody to believe the best. If you've been the one that's violated that trust, you, you can continue to ask that person to believe the best, but you're asking too much of them. There's, there's two in this relationship. And the reality is, is this is sort of like another sermon for another day, but I am a preacher. I have this one in my back pocket. Um, there's a there's Zacchaeus principle. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he. One day he was up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Anybody remember? Nobody remembers that. Little nursery rhyme. Anyway, um, Jesus comes along and he goes to Zacchaeus' house and Zacchaeus wants to become a Jesus follower. And he says, but I don't know what to do. I've broken relationship with all these people. He's a tax collector. He's been stealing from them. And Jesus said, oh, that's simple. I, I know how you fix that. He goes, tell me, how do I fix that? He said, well, you need to go pay back everybody you stole from four times and then give half of everything you have to the poor. What? The point is this, is if you're somebody who's violated, you have to go way beyond you have to go far beyond. You, again, in a human relationship, this is different when dealing with God, in a human relationship, you've got to go far beyond to regain that trust, to be able to expect that somebody's going to believe the best about you. It, it, it takes that. And if you're at that, at that point in a relationship, you may be the person that needs to do that so that somebody can, again, choose, learn to choose to believe the best. But here's the thing I would say. 
is if you're somebody who's on the, I've been violated or somebody's behaving badly in the relationship, it's so much easier for you to focus on their stuff, isn't it? I mean, this is what we go to. I mean, it's like, well, that's gotta be the problem. It's why every conversation I have with people, it's like, here's what, I, here's what happened. Here's what I saw. Here's what they did. We wanna focus on their stuff. But there's two pieces. There's two pieces to every puzzle. There's a second piece. And I'm, I'm sure you can probably guess what the second piece is. The second piece is not about their stuff. The second piece is about your stuff. The second piece is who I am. Because I bring that to bear in the relationship as well. This is my stuff. This is my past experiences. This is what has shaped me. This is how I experience them. It's not just what they did and what I saw and what they experienced. It's I'm looking through a certain lens based on my past experiences, based on my insecurities, based on my fears. I'm looking at that behavior and I'm coming to some judgment about that that may be completely untrue. This is sort of the second piece of the puzzle. This is, this is my expectations of this person may or may not be realistic. My expectations of who they would be and how they would relate to me. This, this has become, um, it's become destructive, but it's not just because of what they've done. It's because of how I receive and experience what they've done. It's what I've brought into the relationship. Did you know that 90% of relationships that, that end the primary issue is about something that was brought into the relationship, not something that happened in the relationship. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There's things that happen in relationships all the time that, that lead to the end, that, that are destructive, that makes things worse. But more often than not, what happens in the relationship is a result oftentimes of what was brought into the relationship. Here's the really good news about that. Is statistically, you're no worse off now than you were when you got married, even if you think things are really bad. Like you have the best, you have, the, you have an equal chance of solving the challenges and the problems that you're experiencing now if you're in a difficult season in a relationship. I mean, that's a reason to persevere is because if you're willing to, to focus on what you brought in, because that's all you can really control. You can't control the person you're in a relationship with. If you're willing to focus on what you brought in, because some of your expectations, there is a result of positive and healthy experiences, but others of them are, are as a result of past hurt and brokenness and things that you were exposed to and things that you watched and things that were done to you that you brought into a relationship that are another piece of this puzzle that are equally compounding in the challenges that we face in a relationship. And when you choose to let your mind wander when you allow yourself to be suspicious, your temptation is towards unreality. It's not towards the truth. It's towards the absurdity and the obscurity. And it's because of your stuff. It's because of our stuff. It's because of our insecurities that we allow our minds to wander and, and shape why we believe our spouse or significant other or the person we're dating is doing what they're doing, why they may be holding out on you or why they are, they're trying to make your life difficult, or why they're being so confusing, or why they're creating such uncertainty in your relationship. Um, when, I, when I was uh, in one session with my counselor, I remember my counselor asked me one time, um, she, she was asking me about, I was talking about the frustrations 
Um, and, and I've talked about this a lot before uh, publicly. And, and um, Jen and I, you know, we had a really difficult season in our marriage. And, and I had frustrations, but I didn't, I didn't really talk about it like with, with tremendous anger. And I remember my counselor saying, hey, you know, it sounds like, you know, this is something that's really bothering you. Like, tell me about a time when you were sort of, you expressed your anger about this. And I was like, I mean, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, don't you get angry? I'm like, I don't, I'm not really an angry, I'm not like an angry sort of sort of frustrated person in our relationship. And she goes, well, that doesn't really make sense. She said, well, tell me this then. Tell me about a time you got angry, like when you were a kid. And I said, oh, that happened all the time, you know? Like, I was, I, I was the middle child, and I was a lot, by the way. I was a handful when I was a kid, and um, I have one of those now. All of my sins are returning to me, so that comes full circle. Um, but but I, I was a lot, and, and, and this is no shade on my mom. Like, when I was a lot, she did what every other parent would do. She would send me to my room. And so I'd go to my room, and, and, and I told my counselor, I said, you know, I'd act out, and then I'd get sent to my room. And she said, well, then what? And I said... I mean, then I'd hang out in my room and she said, well, but what would you do? And I was like, nothing. She's like, you just did nothing. I said, well, sometimes I'd be mad or I'd cry or I'd be upset or I'd throw things or whatever, but no, I mean, then nothing. She said, well, but what happened after that? I said, stop asking me. Then nothing, nothing happened after that. And she said, well, when would you come out of your room? And I said, well, when I was done being mad. And her head dropped. And I was like, tell me about that. What does that mean? <laughs> There's no hope for me? Or like, what, what just happened? And her head dropped and she said, um, you learned a really important and destructive lesson at a young age. She said that you learned that to be angry was to be alone. And God gave you the emotion of anger. He doesn't say that anger is a sin. It's that he says, don't sin in your anger. And anger, anger is an indication that something's wrong. And you have not acted on that indication and you're actually widening the gap in your relationship because of your past. And you wanna make this all about her and what she's not doing or who, the way you know the relationship should be and you can't get close and she has you at arm's length, but you're not doing anything to close that gap. In fact, you're widening the gap because you're actually holding out on her and withholding from her. Because you're not acting upon the indication that God's given to you on the inside because of something that's in your past. And you're actually widening the gap in your relationship. And if you're not careful, it gets worse. And some of you have experienced this because over time, those failed expectations, you start to feel like somebody owes you. And this typically leads to a debt-debtor relationship. And there's nothing intimate about a debt-debtor relationship. None of you invited your mortgage broker to Thanksgiving dinner at your house. It didn't happen. Like, you, they, you owe money to the bank, and so you pay it every month. You have a good relationship with your bank as long as you pay your mortgage every month. That there's, there's no intimacy in that relationship. A debt-debtor relationship eliminates the potential of generous love. You can't be generous if you owe somebody. So, I can either owe you or I can love you, but I can't do both. And you either owe me or you're free to love me, but you can't do both. And the truth was is in our relationship, I wasn't free to love. I needed something in return and I was bartering for something and I was manipulating for something. 
And our inclination, my, my inclination towards generosity, as much as I wanted to be generous and as much as I wanted to be that guy that would protect and the guy that would trust and the guy that would hope beyond any of the, 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 the challenges or uncertainties and that would persevere through all the difficulties. The truth is, is one of the things I discovered is that my ability to gen- be generous rises and falls on my ability to figure out what's going on in this puzzle. And my ability to believe the best was, was wrapped up in trying to solve this puzzle. And that, that some combination of what I see and who I am, what I'm experiencing in the relationship and the baggage, the things that I've experienced in my past, it made up a puzzle that, that needed to be solved if I wanted to continue to be generous. Now, these two pieces represent a whole bunch of pieces. But the truth is, is there's a, there's a puzzle to be solved. And so somebody gave us this question, um, gave us uh, this, this marriage question. I'm gonna give it to you and it's gonna sound corny, but I'm telling you, this will work. And when you find yourself in a situation and you're experiencing something that, that feels precarious, it feels like this could be dangerous towards maybe the, towards the end of our relationship or this is confusing and I don't know how to interpret this and, and this is eroding intimacy or, or, or it's uncertain as to, to what's gonna happen next or you're in a difficult season when you're experiencing that. Here's how you approach it. What if you just decided to say, hey, do you have time for a puzzle? Now, some of you hate puzzles, so you're like, no, no, I don't have time for a puzzle. But no, 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 in our relationship, there's things that need to be solved and there, there's things that need to be fixed. And what this question says, when I come to you and I say, hey, do you have time for a puzzle? This is saying, look, I don't know what the real problem is here. And I don't know if it's primarily what I see or what I'm experiencing, what's going on in our relationship, or if it's about something that, that's going on inside of me. It's about who I am. But... I'm having a hard time believing the best and I need your help. Do you have time for a puzzle so that we could try and solve this? Maybe that's even a great way to start. Hey, I'm puzzled by something. I'm puzzled by something I saw or, or, or that I heard or that I read or that I experienced. And, and it, I know it doesn't reflect what you ultimately want for our relationship or what I ultimately am aiming for in our relationship. And it's making it difficult for me to believe the best. And I don't like feeling that way because I wanna be free to, to give myself fully to you, to not have to hold back. I wanna believe the best. Can you help me solve this puzzle? Now, here, this is, this is sort of a dub, but you know that there are 50 piece puzzles and then there are 5,000 piece puzzles. Some puzzles are more complicated than others. Costco, by the way, has a 60,000-piece puzzle. So some of you are may going, I mean, that's about what I'm in the middle of. You know, we, we have a very complicated puzzle that we got to put together. And here's the truth. You may need help, just like we did at a certain season in our marriage. We needed help trying to figure out for each of us, you know, sort of what was going on with our stuff so that we could figure out how that, that was you know, sort of perfectly matching with the other person's stuff to create these problems and this lack of intimacy. But I'm telling you, it's worth it. And I'm gonna tell you at the end of the service, we've got all sorts of resources, but you can, you can figure this out. These things, you're, the, what you're in the middle of, I mean, you're, the names are different. The, the actual details of the circumstances are different. But I'll t- I'm gonna tell you what, as I've met with so many different couples, I mean, I hear the same six or seven stories over and over and over and over. Again, the details are different. 
And some of us think, no, no, you don't understand. My situation's different. Our situation's unique. You, you, don't, you don't know. And I'm telling you, I felt the same way until I heard somebody describe what we were dealing with in a book, knowing that they had heard hundreds of the same story before. You see, approaching it this way says, look, can you help me? Can we work on this puzzle together? Do you know what one more statistic? John Gottman, he's a guy who um, has done uh, probably more research on people that have been in in, uh, significant uh, trauma in their relationships. And in fact, all of the the study that they did um, was observing couples that were in therapy, intense therapy, because this is the last thing they were gonna try before they decided to split up. And so um, most of these were married couples that they were, that they were observing. And they found after thousands of hours and thousands of couples, they discovered that there was one thing, there was one thing they could observe that was the difference between couples that made it and couples that ended up apart. There was just one difference between every single one of the, the couples. In fact, after they discovered, it, discovered this, they started to use it predictively. In the first two sessions, one to two sessions of couples coming in, they use this predictively and above 95%, they were predictively able to discover whether couples would stay together or they would, or they would move apart. The single difference was whether they could keep the problem from being between them or not. Here's what I mean by that. Is there's this problem and if I'm here and, my, and, and Jen's over here and the problem's between us, I can only see her through the problem. But the couples that were, that were able to come in and sit next to each other and go, hey, we have this problem and almost talk about it as if it was on the other side of the room. It's like, hey, this is, this is something we've been trying to fix. We've been trying to solve. We have a puzzle that we can't solve and we need some help trying to solve that puzzle. Do you know that was the single difference between couples that made it, relationships that made it and the ones that didn't? They worked together on the puzzle. They were in it together. The problem wasn't his and the problem wasn't hers. The problem was theirs. They didn't delight in pointing out the problem in the other person. Sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. Love does not delight in evil. It doesn't delight in pointing out somebody else's faults, somebody else's behaving badly. In the midst of danger, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of uncertainty and difficulty, It always protects, and it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Heard this story of a couple who, their names are Kurt and Martha Renshaw. They um, are part of our church. They allowed me to use their story. Um, They love investing in marriages now, but they were in a season at one point, actually way back when we started these intimate encounters groups. I told you the first uh, week that we used to have groups called intimate encounters uh, they're called Thrive Groups now, but they joined one of those groups. Um, they were in a season of life where Kurt had a business that was thriving. It was growing. In fact, he had started this business about three or four years before uh, he and Martha got married, but they were both sort of invested in the business and, and this business was growing and thriving, um, but their marriage was not. In fact, the way they would describe it is their marriage was on the rocks. And sort of, they jumped into this group going, we need help. We don't, we don't know that we're gonna survive this. And they got involved in this intimate encounters group. And uh, one of the things they did was they began to share about their, their history, their personal history and their backstories. And 
Kurt began to learn a lot of things about Martha that he didn't really realize were contributing in their relationship. Martha grew up with not a lot. Her family was, was really poor growing up. And she had trust issues because of some things she experienced when she was growing up. And she always sort of assumed that the worst was gonna happen to her. And none of that had anything to do with Kurt. But all of that was imported into their relationship. And she one day secretly believed that ultimately the worst would happen and that Kurt would leave her. And that when he left her, he would leave her with nothing. Imagine the difficulty that is in a relationship when you're trying to experience intimacy. And after learning this, Kurt realized like, oh, this is sort of at the core of our problem. Like I just thought just continuing to be here every day would, would, would eclipse that. And it's gonna take a lot more than that. And, and I need to do something that, that, that sort of overreaches, that maybe is even more than what's required. And so Kurt drafted a quit claim deed, which if you know anything about um, legal documents, it's a transfer of title. And he transferred the title of not only the business, but everything they owned into Martha's name. Imagine. Imagine the insecurity. Imagine the uncertainty he puts himself in. But imagine the generosity that Martha felt in that. This one single act of generosity was the catalyst to creating the healing in their relationship. And not just theirs, but many others. As they've inspired, they've continued to lead couples groups and invest in other people's marriages. See, this is, the reason I know this works is because this is what God did when he, when there was a gap in his relationship with us that needed to be closed. You know what God did? He overreached, he went way far beyond. Instead of saying, you owe me, because we did, we fell short. Instead of you saying you owe me and you need to make it up and you need to act better and clean up your act, then you can come back to me. He said, no, 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 come to me just as you are. I wanna forgive all that. I wanna wipe all of that debt clear because I want you to experience the love I have for you. And if you feel like you owe me, you can't experience the love I have for you and you can't love me back. He cleared the debt-debtor relationship that we have. So here's my question for you as we finish today. I mean, you can focus on this all you want. And some of this, this is part of the puzzle. You need to talk about this. Here's where you need to start today. What's your stuff? What's your stuff that you need to focus on that's keeping you from acting generously? It's keeping you from believing the best in a relationship, in the relationship that you're in, in your last relationship, whether you're married or whether you're dating, whether you're single. This affects all of us because here's the thing. One out of one of us has a past. Slow burn. You all have a past. We all have a different past, but we all have a past. And it has shaped us. And no matter how good you think your family life was growing up, I remember first time my counselor, I'm like, no, no, if I, I had the greatest family growing up, I had no idea the things that were affecting my relationship. My question for you is, what's keeping you from believing the best? What's keeping you from being generous? What's keeping you from offering the love in a relationship that God offered to you, a love that draws another person toward you into the type of intimate relationship that you were designed to experience? 
And will you pursue understanding that so that you're not the one creating the gaps in your relationship? Let me pray for you. God, I pray for somebody who's here today. Maybe they missed the first two weeks and maybe this is the first week they're here and maybe they've been married a long time or maybe they just got married. And the reality is, is they know that there's gaps and there's more that they desire and they're not fully experiencing yet what they ultimately hope to experience. Maybe there is some confusion or maybe there is some uncertainty. Maybe they've already faced something difficult or maybe they've been facing something difficult for a really long time. Here's what I would ask. I just ask that you would give them the wisdom to know what the next step is for them. Whether it's to talk with a friend or to talk with a counselor, to go to their spouse. I pray that you would allow them to do it in such a way that's gracious and that exudes humility. It's solution-centered, that expresses, I want to be close to you. And so I want to solve this puzzle together. God, I pray for somebody who's here who's not in a relationship. They want to be, and maybe this is the thing that's kept them from being in a relationship. I pray that you give them the wisdom to know what their next step is, how they should maybe dig into and understand what's shaped their outlook and where they are. And then you give us all the courage to take the next step, to move forward so that we can experience all that you intended for us to experience. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.